Zealand Tech Podcast, the voice of the tech community, proudly supported by Umbrella Connect. Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Uh, Today we're going to be learning a little bit about where we're at with 5G and also how that looks as far as a new partnership between uh, Spark and Samsung. So today, Renee Mataparai, nice to have you uh, back on New Zealand Tech Podcast again. How are you? Nice to be here. I'm I'm doing great. Thank you. Excellent. Um, Maybe you could fill listeners in of where you fit in within the big wide world of of Spark and of uh, telecommunications and tech in New Zealand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm the technology evolution lead at Spark New Zealand. And so that means uh, within my team, we do all of the new technology infrastructure build for Spark in New Zealand. So that's the 5G program. That's the work we're doing in our 4G network. It's our IoT business. And it's also a lot of the upgrade work that we're doing around our fixed and transport uh, optical networks as well. A lot of cool stuff, basically. Yeah, all the cool, fun new yeah, that's great. Um, and Todd, since we last caught up, you're in a new role. Yes. Um, maybe you can fill us in on, on what that, that role sure. looks like and Hi, what you were doing last time around. Yes, thanks for having me. Uh, last time we talked, I was the head of product for Samsung, and now I'm in the head of networks. So uh, thanks to our partnership with Spark, we are now in the 5G space and have brought that to New Zealand. So it's pretty exciting. We have a team of uh, engineers, project managers, um, so we can bring 5G to life. In, uh, in New Zealand. That's very cool. Well, there's, I think, a, a bunch of things that we could, uh, that we could cover. Um, I'm curious, as I'm, as I'm sure some listeners are, as to why Spark has, you know, chosen to uh, partner with Samsung and, you know, how, do, how does that change things? Because you, I think, started out with, um, uh, you know, quite early on with 5G, uh, doing some work with Huawei, and we know that there was some uh, security or political or whatever box you want to, you know, put that in um, uh, challenges with being able to proceed down that track, and that seems to be something that's that's across the board here uh, in New Zealand and, and a number of other markets around the world. Um, we know that uh, Nokia um, has has a you know a long-running history of doing mobile networks in New Zealand, um, but. Samsung's sort of new here, right? Mm. Um, you know, we heard a, a little bit and would have t- talked a little bit about it on the podcast in the past um, about, you know, 5G coming quite early uh, to, to South Korea, uh, you know, through through Samsung. Um, so, yeah, how's, yeah. how's all this uh, come come together? And um, why, yeah. this, why this move, Renee? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good um, sum up of our 5G journey from a vendor perspective. We certainly started out um, our efforts into 5G in sort of 2017, 2018, and working initially with Huawei, who are our partner in the 4G space at the moment. Uh, Once we'd started rolling out commercially for 5G networks, um, we started with Nokia as our partner, um, and we are really excited about the launch down in Christchurch to be able to integrate the Samsung radio access network equipment into our network. That's we think it's the first time a new vendor in what's known as the RAN space in probably more than a decade, um, which is pretty exciting. And 
has some really unique benefits to it. From from Spark's perspective, we've said all along that we have a multi-vendor approach to 5G, and the reason for that is it gives us a great level of flexibility. As you mentioned, the technology is still really early, and so we're expecting both vendors to have strengths in different areas, and that means that we can deploy the best technology to the best location for New Zealand. So it means that partnering with Samsung means we can deliver the best technology to New Zealand in exactly the right way. Cool. And uh, Todd, from uh, you know, from your perspective, you've uh, you know really launching a you know whole new offering into the New Zealand uh, market. How did how did that actually you know come come about from Samsung's uh, end? Yeah, good question. I mean, we've had a very long relationship with Spark. You know, previously Telecom, we were one of the first or major handset vendors with um, Spark. So we've always had a natural partnership together with Spark, and we wanted to explore that technology. Uh, you mentioned South Korea being live with 5G. It was the first commercial live market in the world, so we could actually show to Spark a live, real-life, um, commercially deployed network, um, which I think helped. So we all travelled up there quite a few times to see the market, um, look at it. We also have some unique technologies. Um, so our radio is quite slim, quite compact, made to deploy on a, a mast that to go with already existing infrastructure, so not difficult to add 5G to it. And it's called a, a massive MIMO unit, MIMO multiple input, multiple output. So you've got an array of antennas um, which amplify your signal. So you can have quite a compact, small um, piece of equipment um, giving you good capacity and good coverage um, from Samsung. South Korea, 750,000 cell sites. Wow. Uh, New Zealand, 5,000 cell sites. Uh, we have 200,000 radios deployed already in South Korea. So um, we've got a pretty robust and, and strong product there. So it's the same product we're using here in New Zealand. So someone's got to ask the question, talking about RANs and, you know, Spark, used to be Telecom, XT Network. Was any, anybody sort of concerned after what happened with XT Network back in the day? Yeah. And, and things uh, falling over, like you know, there is, there's a lot of work that went into getting getting things right, so you could be relaxed and sleep at night. There, there are still quite a lot of people at working at Spark, and particularly in the mobile space that were around in the XT days. And so, a lot of the learnings from that absolutely have carried through. That's never a situation that will be in again. Um, and so, making sure that we've got uh, exactly the right network by the time that we launch. You know, we were testing in Christchurch for quite a long time before we commercially launched um, with Todd and the guys. So we're we're very careful about making sure that we've got everything right and working very smoothly, as Todd would, yeah. <laughs> would know. And, and a big part of that is the technology evolution. Now we talk about virtualization. So we've managed to decouple the radio and the compute together now. So that means in Spark's um, instance, they can just add more capacity and more servers in the rack to mm, increase mm, their capacity. Mm. Your XT issue is more about capacity more than anything else. So um, 5G will mean that that shouldn't happen again. Touch wood, no one ever says anything. <laughs> um, but now we're virtualized. You can have geo redundancy. You can have server redundancy. It's a lot. Um, the technologies have evolved a lot further than that. That's that sort of thing. But people rely a lot more now, right, on the devices. It's their lifeline. So um, I think that even the KPIs have risen a lot since those days in terms of expectation um, of what works on the network and what doesn't. Yeah, absolutely. I think consumers are increasingly impatient with any kind of uh, lack of speed 
or perceived lack of speed. So it's definitely pretty top of mind for us, making sure the experience turns up pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm sure there will be some interest in understanding what you know, what sort of capacity and and expectations um, that you're seeing or expecting to see you know from um, you know from your 5g sites and there's you know the variants that we have uh, today in you know what's in cities versus rural locations mm-hmm. um, is that something we can we can delve into a little bit and, yeah. and, and get a feeling for like you know I know one of the things about 5g that was um, you know highlighted up front is you know how you can put 5g in a stadium and have you know hundreds of thousands of you know connections and um, you know have have both you know connectivity lots of devices but also also, you know, good performance. Yeah. Um, how how does that sort of play out at this stage in the game? Because we are still, you know, not super far down the track of five G, right? Yeah. I mean, at, at the risk of massively oversimplifying it, a lot of the capacity gains that you get from five from five G is to do with the spectrum that you're using to deploy it with. Yeah. Um, and you've got some really interesting use cases popping up globally of um, stadium and fan experiences that are exactly that. Right. And so those are using the higher end frequency bands so as you get higher up the frequency ranges you just have more capacity to use because you're working in a different range of there is more available um, the offset is the higher the frequency the lower the distance it will travel so in 5G we talk about three different band types at the moment we're deploying in what's called the mid band or the C band and so that's kind of a mid range which gives you a good mix of, I guess, coverage and capacity. So you've definitely got an uplift in capacity from 4G, um, but you've got a decent amount of coverage as well. Um, if you then move down to the lower bands, you'll get much wider coverage. That's what we use in the 4G space, and that's what we use particularly in rural. Um, at the moment, there aren't any plans, or well, there are plans but no timeframes for low band spectrum that can be used for 5G um, through the government auction. So we're waiting to hear what will happen with things like the 600 megahertz uh, band, which will give us phenomenal coverage in rural areas. Um, If you then go to the other end of the spectrum, you've got your really high bands, that's your millimeter waves that you've probably heard people talk about. Um, And Samsung have got some great experience with millimeter wave overseas. Um, That's where you get your really high capacity, really fast speeds, but much lower coverage footprint. So potentially for a stadium type experience, that'll give you a great option. You'll still probably need a few millimetre wave stations around the stadium, I would imagine. Mm. Um, And that also comes into higher frequency means denser networks, lower frequency means you can have less cell sites. So, Todd, looking looking at existing deployments internationally, um, I mean, what what markets is Samsung uh, in? Obviously, there's South Korea. Um, you know, where is New Zealand in that uh, in in that list? Are we, uh, yeah, you know, one of the one of the early ones? Or yeah, we are. So, you know, we've actually been talking about the the cool thing about Samsung being here too is we traditionally we're in techno- technologically advanced markets. So we're in Japan, KDDI, we just announced Entity Docomo. Um, the three operators in Korea, um, Verizon is our biggest customer in the US, and as Renee mentioned, they, they tend to be doing city by city millimeter wave deployment so far. Um, 
and New Zealand. So we get to be on the list. Um, Canada, we're big now too. TELUS has just gone live with us and uh, AT&T Mexico. So we like to say only the most technologically advanced countries have Samsung. <laughs> so here we are in New Zealand. <laughs> but the cool thing is every time there's a press release or something in the paper, New Zealand gets mentioned every time as part of Samsung's um, deployments. So that's really great to see for New Zealand. And any of those sort of stadium situations that you've Yes, you know, yeah, you've, we you've did. Super Bowl 50 pre the 3GPP final um, 5G you know Standards. Standards. So yeah, um, yeah. that was basically a radio under every seat, pretty much. So the money the NFL spent was insane wow. on deploying that. But you had live sort of hologram AR, all that sort of stuff in Super Bowl. They do it in baseball in Korea with AR as well. You can you can interact with the players. Um, LGU Plus doing multi-camera angle straight to your phone. They have eight different camera angles for the baseball, whatever you want to watch, straight on your phone. Um, so that's all, all go now as well. So people will be sitting in stadiums basically looking at their phones to get a better yeah. better view yeah. than what they could they can exactly. see. It was yeah. a bit like that for the America's Cup, right? Yeah. Everybody was on yeah. the water looking yeah. at watching through their phones. That's true actually. That's <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, I know when when I went out it was sort of go outside, have a look, or oh, duck back at the screen for all the data and, you know, fill in all the gaps, yeah. right? So uh, the animations. Yeah. 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 But as Renee mentioned, says we're in that C band currently, um, in New Zealand that the propagation is about the same same as 1800 megahertz frequency so we, you, you get some in-building challenges but with MIMO as talked about before the multi-input multi-output beam forming and other new technology that takes away a lot of those issues as well so we expect roughly about the same sort of coverage as you get on 1800 megahertz of, of 4G. 4G yeah now you mentioned something about radios under every seats delve, delve into that a little bit yeah so they were using the millimeter wave um pre-standard so it was a it was a CPE under every seat pretty much to connect wow. people so like a modem yeah that would like cost a a, it was a huge fortune money. to roll yeah. that out yeah, crazy money wow so was that more a tech demo because I can't imagine that we're going to you know go to Eden Park no, that and, was a tech and they're going to and they're yeah. going to be yeah. you know the, 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 um, that well, was I, uh, I don't know maybe, maybe Spark yeah. is saying we've got uh, a spare few billion to uh, <laughs> to roll them out under, under every seat and uh, you'll roll into your office and there'll be uh, a CPE uh, sitting under your chair. Probably not, right? No. no. I, th- I mean, we're in kind of a... I find it a really fun phase because we're at the phase where a lot of these demonstrations are about inspiring people about what the technology could do. They're not necessarily deployed in the way that you would have to do it when you're commercially deploying, but it's about getting people to think about what could this technology enable so that we can start getting the innovation around the technology and the new apps coming out that use the technology. There's some really cool stats in South Korea about the change in the types of data traffic that we used when 5G launched and there was a big increase in the amount of data that was used on AR traffic and because that's one of those early use cases it's how do we help people to imagine the future right so all oh, right so you you gear under under your seat that might be that you, you know if you you could plug your uh, augmented reality sort of headset into it so you've still got how many cell sites would there would there have been in that case any any oh, idea no within idea, the, but the state? It was millimetre waves, so you'd say probably 50, maybe, across mm. the stadium. As part of, if I recall, that Super Bowl was a Verizon, in the Verizon Stadium. 
So it was part of Verizon's um, mm. stadium deal. Yeah. Ca- I mean, the millimeter wave is kind of, it's easy to think of it more like a Wi Fi hotspot. It does seem to cover a bit more from what I've heard, but mm. you can mm. think of it more like that than your traditional cell sites that you see out in the country. Yeah, yeah. That's quite fascinating. So when we look at those rural deployments, we have Mm. that challenge at the moment when I talk to people that are in rural locations and they they see what we can get you know, in city with you know fiber and then with oh I can get a you know a connection from a spark or a Vodafone that's a basically a you know a 4G fixed wireless mm. connection and those are you know obviously quite reasonably priced in the city but once you go out into the into the rural areas the price goes up and the data caps come down, how does that change in, mm. the, sh- in the short term or does it not change at all until there's more spectrum um, available for, um, you know, for targeting rural locations? So, so spectrum's definitely one of the challenges because it is, it's a finite resource, but Spark is, quite, is very committed to making sure that we can serve rural customers in the best way. So we are expanding the availability of some of the plans like our um, unplanned construct for wireless broadband so that's where you can get um, effectively uncapped broadband and you're charged based on the amount you use um, but your top tier is effectively as much as much as you can use and we've extended that out to more and more regions rurally uh, the biggest area we have challenged are um, homes that are only in the 700 megahertz Uh, coverage which I mentioned earlier and really once that bit of spectrum gets filled up there's nothing you can do other than build another cell site and so it becomes the commercial model of at what point can you build another cell site to help serve the rural customers and so I think we've got a multi prong attack so in within Spark we're looking at what we can do for rural customers what we can, how we can make that unlimited broadband available to more people mm-hmm. we're also working with Crown infrastructure partners through some of their government programs so there are programs targeted towards particularly where people are working and learning so we're working with Crown Infrastructure Partners on that. And then also RCG has got quite a big role, especially for those people that are even more rural. The Rural Productivity Group. Yeah, yes, yep. sorry. Yeah. Yep. But together with um, And that's Vodafone in partnership and, and with the degrees. other operators. Yeah, yeah. And so that's helping to push the coverage where we, it just couldn't make sense for the number of people that were in a particular location that actually when you've got all three operators working together, it, it works. So where do, where's that sort of delineation between, between things that would be done you know together with the other telcos through mm. the rural connectivity group and where you would you know maybe work directly with the crown infrastructure how do you draw those lines the, um, so at the moment the crown infrastructure work or our work is where we've got existing coverage and capacity right. so the rural connectivity group is looking for areas where there's not coverage currently and so that can be targeted towards rural um, addresses or uh, highway black spots, that kind of thing. So their focus is very much where there's no coverage. Our focus is how is on where we do have coverage, but where that's f- it's full, the spectrum is full. How do we improve or open up more availability to people? Yeah, yeah, oh, interesting. Yeah, I visited a location um, just out outside of Auckland, the White and the White Hackers a few days ago, mm. and um, one of the mobile networks had 
uh, reasonable coverage the, the of of between Spark and, and Vodafone. Um, I didn't test um, two degrees, but. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't that great. But to get a uh, wireless broadband connection, I think was considered sort of rural, so it was going to be more pricey. I think that the DSL there was, oh, it was terrible. Maybe, maybe five megabits or something, oh, and man. and yeah. outside of fibre. Um, so, you know, in that case, um, yeah, I was looking so well. Maybe you're going to have to, you know, even though you're so close to Auckland, um, you might have to consider like a satellite link, like Starlink or something. Do you think there are going to be many people that will fall into that uh, that type of category that are going to be interested in those satellite links, or do you you think that um, you know you're going to be able to fill in more of those spots and maybe bring the bring the prices down, um, a, you know, a little bit to make it uh, to make it work? I, I guess it depends on how quickly we can get out to rural address and make sure that we're constantly addressing capacity because New Zealand is so big because the terrain is quite challenging. Yeah. We can't go everywhere at once. Not at all. Um, and so, I mean, I'll be watching the, the satellite companies with interest to see how they go. The, the commercials on it look pretty tough, but it depends on how quickly there can be alternatives put forward from the different operators, I think. Mm, yeah. I always think a bit of competition never hurts anybody other than yeah. a few investors and, uh, <laughs> and so on. <laughs> true, true. Um, but, uh, yeah, customers hopefully most mostly uh, in, end up doing okay. Um, I mean, one thing I would say is I think it is a pretty good testament to the network that we were able to have all customers uncapped through all of the lockdowns that we've had over the last 12 months. Um, and we were able to support the network for everybody learning and working from home through that period. Um, so we just need to make sure that we're investing so that we can keep up that level of service for New Zealanders and it'll get better and better over time. Right, yeah, because usage keeps going up, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, and so, yeah, how, how does that look? And, you know, again, I noticed there's, there's a lot of um, competing with the ultra-fast broadband offerings coming from, you know, what you can do over your mobile network and I you know I guess my comment to people is well fiber is always going to deliver you know the the most uh, consistent and reliable uh, result and you know, probably the fastest the fastest result if all the all the dots are right and you've got the right pieces and you're on the right plan and all those sorts of things um, but you are offering these you know uncapped mm. uh, connections so how yeah how do you go about um, you know, choosing who to sell those type of um, offerings to, where they've got the choice of both fibre or um, you know, fixed wireless? There's, I mean, there's a couple of different benefits from fixed wireless. There's definitely a sweet spot in terms of usage that really suits wireless yep. because it's very quick to set up. It's literally, you can order it, it turns up the next day, you plug it in and you're, you're away. Um, so the, I guess the speed of setup and the customer experience we see is being quite a lot, a lot better. Um, but 
So I guess it's the speed and then also the other benefit of fixed wireless is your flexibility and how you're able to move things around or take the modem with you. Um, and so there are some restrictions around that at the moment, but if you're moving from one location to another location and there's availability, you can you can do that. So it does offer speed of setup and flexibility. So it's just about working out what's right for the customer at the point mm. in time. How does, we, how does that play out at the moment? Like if, let's say, that was the connection that I had at my home and then I'm, you know, off to another part of the country. Yeah. Um, how's that sort of moving along? I, I know there are, you know, some people have some connections that with, uh, you know, I know I've seen this with some of your uh, devices or SIM cards and you can actually just take them with anywhere and um, and it just works. But I know yeah. that's probably not not quite the norm, particularly on a, you know, uncapped type uh, scenario. We have, um, so the Wi-Fi dongles, you know, the, yeah. Yeah. the kind of Wi-Fi on the go, you can take with you anywhere. Yep. The actual um, fixed wireless modems are locked to your suburb. So kind of to your geographical area so if you were to move house within the same suburb you'll be fine but if you were to head off to the beach to the beach then it won't work in a different location Um, and there's a whole lot of rules set up around where it does and doesn't work yep do you think that that's something that you'll be able to make a little bit easier? Because that would seem to me to be, that would be the, the sort of compelling thing, right? If you have one connection, it's going to work at your home, it's going to work at your beach house, batch, um, crib, um, you know, wherever it is that you like to, like to go. Yeah. And if there was kind of an easy way, whether it's you go online and check or, you know, do something you can check and, you know, you uh, Spark says, well, yeah, we've got capacity to handle it there. Uh, maybe you can't go completely nuts with your data, but, you know, you mm. can't. You can still uh, you can still take that. Then then you've got quite a differentiator compared to maybe paying for you know fibre at your home and then you know fibre at an alternative address that you might visit you know once or twice a month sort of thing. So we definitely know that flexibility is something that customers would value, and Spark is working towards how we can enable a wireless future for New Zealand. So I can't say exactly what we're looking at in future, but it, but those two things are really important to Spark. So how do we enable enable a wireless future where you can connect from any device wherever you are Um, and then how do we best serve customers needs and if flexibility is something that they uh, think is really important then how do we how do we best do that yeah, the other interesting things when we talk about rural and when you talk about 5G in general is when you start talking about private networks. So you may have heard the other catchphrase of network slicing. So when you're an operator, they can carve off a different tariff, different rate, different throughput to their customer. Mm-hmm. And in New Zealand with Agritech, you would expect there'll be some commercial reasons behind uh, maybe 5G being in the agricultural space. There's a famous study in the Netherlands where they've done um, automatic weeding of potato plants using 5G in the fields where previously they had to go through and pick out each potato. And does the 5G cook the potatoes? Oh, sorry, I'm getting into the wrong, wrong <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah, no, no, no. no. <laughs> just joking. No, they, uh, they're using drones um, to, to weed. Um, and then you look at things like John Deere buying AI companies, you know, automated tractors, all this sort of stuff. That's not far away. And New Zealand being an agritech um, country, yeah. if I have to spend the, – the commercial model will be different. If I have to spend a big – a reasonable amount of money to spark thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars, but my tractor will drive itself. As a farmer on a twenty million dollar farm, that's not a bad way to spend your money. So it becomes a different 
a different engagement rather than, oh, I want to put a free cell site up near my house, please, um, yeah. which is very hard to justify and warrant. So I think when you have private networks, that will also change. The, the other catchphrase is smart factory. Well, we don't have a lot of industry, so agriculture really is our industry um, more than a smart factory. And I think the farmer of the future is going to have to not be sitting on a tractor, right? They need to be smarter, um, to feed the world and New Zealand should be a part of that um, getting the best yield out of your land rather than driving up and down your your, um, your strip and your John Deere yeah, I, I'm really curious about how that's going to play out because we've, you know, we've already got, um, you know, IoT, Internet of Things, sort of, you know, networks and communications, and uh, obviously, you know, some of that is well on public spectrum, isn't it? And mm. then some of that is on will be unlicensed. Um, yeah, so there's some, yeah, some of that's on sort of un, unlicensed type spectrum, um, but then there's obviously ways to, um, you know, slice and dice up um, 5G, and there's ways that that happens mm. um, on top of LTE as well. Yeah, so. I mean, one of the, the cool things about my area in Spark is that we've got the 5G program as well as IoT. So seeing, starting to see the convergence between those two technologies, I think there's a stack of stuff that we can do in the IoT space already um, using the different types of connectivity options we've got. And I think 5G will just layer on top of that over time. But the 5G element is particularly helpful when you either have really high data needs, so things like um, video analytics, where you can have real-time feedback and, and action on those on that video feed. Um, but also one of the, I guess, specifications of 5G is around the density of devices. So you can get up to a million devices per kilometre, I think it is. Um, and so that's what enables things like smart factories, smart cities, smart campuses, um, and will give us that next step change in, in evolution for Internet of Things. Hopefully we're not looking at packing that many an animals into uh, a small space. It might not work space, well in uh, agriculture. Yeah, and then the, the ultra-low latency of the of 5G is, is also a catchphrase thrown around. And that, you know, for your Tesla, if it's driving itself and it's pinging the network and it takes 20 seconds to come back, you're going to be in trouble, right? So um, once you get that speed to under a second and, and milliseconds then people can have faith in their hands-free driving? Well, um, yeah, at the moment I wouldn't have faith in an in a, um, autonomous vehicle that relied on the smarts to be, you know, not inside inside yes. the vehicle. But there's obviously some elements down that track that have, that have been bandied around. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, how it plays out, you know, how much data needs to push yeah. you know, backwards mm. and forwards and, uh, you know, to, to allow, um, you know, continuous... But that's why you think about New loads. Zealand being like farming or off-road, you know, non-critical traffic. Um, the port, we've just had huge congestion, could be totally automated. A couple of cell sites there and all those cranes be driving themselves. Um, don't have to worry about COVID. On, so so on what, is it, what does it take? How far off are we from, you know, the ships being able to bring themselves into port, um, the cranes being able to operate themselves? What, what do you see as the big, the big challenges on, on that front? Because we certainly have a lot of the the pieces. Yes. Um, well, human but, error is but, the challenge currently, isn't it? So, so they can do it all now. I think they have down at the port a half dozen already self-driving um, cranes. But 
from the 5G perspective, you need to go from non-standalone to standalone to get that ultra-low latency. Currently, we're still on non-standalone using LTE or 4G for voice and 5G for data. Once we go to standalone, um, then you'll be able to have a lot more of these different technologies. So that's By not standalone, what, what do you mean? 100% 5G is yep, what so we call just standalone. Just killing, killing off everything. Yeah, yeah no, killing just, off just all the 4G. Yep. So sure that's what you mean. Yeah, that's what you we mean by standalone. You still have 4G in the background. It's just that at the moment for 5G to work, it's still reliant on the 4G being there. Um, and standalone means you can take. So it's one of the basically one of the planes of traffic. It's got, it travels through the 4G network. And so standalone allows you to remove that dependence. Right. And where are we at with um, voice traffic these days with um, with Spark? I've, I forget uh, yeah. we got uh, with um, we've got quite voice good. over LTE and so yeah, on. Yeah, so we have so Volte or voice over 4G. Um, we are, I mean, it seems to be going really well so far. We're getting a lot of people migrated across to it. Um, and it's just working out how we've still got people that are using 3G only phones. Yeah. So it's just getting people migrated across and getting the traffic migrated across. And some handsets, right? Don't mm. don't play yep. don't play well. Yeah, so. only only the more recent handsets will will work. So it's it's going really well compared to where we thought it would be. Um, but there's still quite a way to go. And then how will that look in a in a sort of five G first world? You, we need to get all of the traffic moving across, obviously, into out of 3G because you can't go, if you're based on 5G, you can't use 3G for a call, whereas when you're on 4G, you can use 3G. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so we need to go through that migration pathway for people, for them to be able to use voice over 5G effectively. Yeah, it's yeah. challenging take a while. technology. You've got, if it's a Greenfields site, you know, start from scratch, it's easy. When you've got legacies and integrations, it's more difficult. So the 5G, one is voice over NR or voice over new radio. And again, though, you have to have everybody gets a new phone, everybody gets a new <laughs> yeah, right. um, device. Yep. Yep. And the there was, time. I think it was probably two degrees that some years ago put voice over, over Wi-Fi. Mm. Uh, is that similar technology? And is that something that we would expect to sort of see Spark, it, you know, deliver at some point? Because it's, you know, it can be quite a convenient thing where you maybe can't get a cellular connection or maybe you're travelling and so on and actually you can still still do calls um, and of course we see that on so many other you know services whether it's um, you know Apple or whether it's uh, you know varying video services and so on of course mm. they don't rely on a mobile network to be able to uh, you you know, those, all of the over-the-top communications platforms work yeah. through that IP channel already. Um, voice over Wi-Fi is a feature set in 4G, so it's one that we're looking at in a whole program of different features we can enable. So yep. it'll just be our watch this space for when we get the, the time to do it. Cool, cool. Um, and is that is that something that you know what role would Samsung play in that? Is that something that's uh, voice over Wi-Fi? Yeah. So yeah, we did do it with two degrees. It's just a handset software build feature mm -hmm. as well. And as Renee mentioned, it's just a suite of software in the four G space. It's actually quite old, as is Volte. Volte yeah. is about six years ago as mm -hmm. well. So New Zealand were a little bit behind in taking up some of those technologies. But, but that's because we don't have the capacity needs really on most of our networks. So a lot of countries have used it to move people off um, the network yep. due to capacity. Um, you know, like Korea now, they're deploying millimeter wave already. And two years ago, they deployed the C band or the mid band because it's full. 
already. So mm. uh, now they have to deploy millimetre waves. So New Zealand, we, we very rarely come to a full um, band. Maybe 700 is probably the only one we're probably close to maxing out on. Um, and that's predominantly because of the wireless broadband product. So there aren't right. that many operators overseas that have launched wireless broadband on 4G. So New Zealand's relatively unique in our ability to do that but just because of the way that our country is and the population. Yeah, our population density is, mm. is, is pretty good in the scheme of things, isn't it? I think what well, we're about the size of the UK, but a tenth of the population. Yeah, and it's yeah. a good There's place to be. Other places we could compare ourselves <laughs> with where it's a lot more dense in those yeah, locations. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one when you talk, especially when you're talking to the Koreans when, you know, there's 60 million people and about two-thirds the size of New Zealand, not even, I think, a third of the size of New Zealand. And they can't understand why we don't have a cell site on every corner. Um, that's what they do there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Well, you can you can justify it in that case, can't you? Um, so, in terms of ramping up five G, what are, what does that look like? What sort of a journey we're we looking at? Is this, you know, six months, twenty years? Where where <laughs> where, do, where do we? You know, what should we expect for for this journey here? Because obviously, the way you're talking, Renee, there's some hoops to jump through. But once we get to a world where it is, you know, five G first and five G everywhere, mm. um, that that changes the picture. You know, at the moment, we've got a bit of five G. You know, I've got um, an iPhone that that technically does five G, doesn't because I've got dual SIM, which kills your five G capability at the moment. Apparently, there's an update coming that will fix that. Um, but it'd be nice to be in this sort of full five G yeah. world. And you know, I think when we when we look back at the varying sort of lockdowns, New Zealand has got a huge benefit that there was you know, so much fibre. There was you know just really good, robust networks yeah. uh, that for the large majority of people, not for everybody, uh, ensure they had really good connectivity and were able to operate. Mm. But It'll be great to have that sort of level, but you know, completely wherever we are, whether we're out and about with you know just a mobile or yeah. embedded SIM in a laptop or what have you. How, how so do you see that So it won't be everywhere out? in six months, and it definitely <laughs> won't take twenty years. No, what we've um, Ex- extremes for yeah. you to fill in the gaps. What we what we have said is that our our goal is to have nationwide coverage for five G by FY twenty three. So that's twenty twenty three. So that's a program over a couple of years of having most areas of New Zealand covered. And some of that is reliant on getting access to spectrum that we can use in the low bands for 5G so that we can get some of those, particularly the rural areas. Right. But that is part of why our rollout so far has not just been about the major centres, it's been also going to places that are regional centres or even smaller towns like Te Awamutu. So we're trying to bring the technology to as many different types of locations across New Zealand as we go. And obviously we'll need to accelerate if we're going to hit our FY23 goals. Okay. And with the extra spectrum that you would like, what's that spectrum, what's it doing at the moment? I don't know the exact details of what it's being used for. I know that there are there is some television broadcast in there. Um, there's, some, I think, some satellite services in there potentially. Um, 
so there's there's quite a range of things that it's being used for currently and therefore the government is in consultation around how that gets used in future whether people that are in that spectrum are able to relocate to different parts of or different spectrum bands um, so it'll be you know a, a couple of years potentially before we get an answer around what will be happening in that space yeah yep. so our first cabs off the rank at the moment the spectrum we've got we've only got rights to it until October 2022 and so the first auction we're expecting is for long-term rights for the C-band, mid-band yes, spectrum, yeah, yeah. and potentially the millimetre wave, which which is less controversial. And then we'll wait and see what happens in the lower bands. Mm. But you might have noticed the US C-band auction had just mm. been $81 billion US dollars yeah, it's for a, it's a much smaller um, strip of spectrum than in New Zealand. So. Quite pricey, isn't it? A lot of money, yeah, a lot of money. But the Spark can um, be there to find a bit of funding to yeah. um, to do that, eh? I couldn't possibly go in. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, it, it is interesting. I, you know, I remember, um, you know, we have some, you know, wireless microphones and, and, and some of that um, equipment that we've used from time to time. And I remember at one of the change points was, you know, a whole bunch of that equipment was basically... You know, throw it in the bin because uh, you'd no longer be able to uh, use, use it. Use frequency, yeah. yeah. In, in New Zealand, it's, it's so like it, it is a bit of a big deal to have to change those things. Yeah, so, I mean, and it's that's not why you've that. got to consult and make sure that the government needs to make sure they're consulting widely so that they're yeah. factoring in all of the different stakeholders. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'd be pretty relaxed if it was, um, you know, say a, a, a sky satellite that was getting knocked out. Spark <laughs> would be uh, uh, having a little little chuckle if um, Rocket Lab had to shoot something yeah. up to take take that out um, to free up some spectrum for you, wouldn't you? It's, um, yeah, I mean, it is pretty interesting because there is some some interesting stuff around how where you need to be globally synchronised as well. So particularly if you're talking about satellites and things like that, there are some parts of spectrum planning where you've got to make sure you line up with everything that's going on globally, otherwise you make it very difficult for New Zealand as a country. So it is pretty station. complicated. Yeah, it's amazing all that. these little little things that are, are, you know can have a big um, flow on. I was reading yesterday about uh, Tesla's uh, semi-truck, or truck we would call it in New Zealand, mm. um, and apparently in Australia the regulations for the size of a truck are about the trucks need to be five um, the limit size is about five cent. I think it's five centimeters less than many parts of the world. And so Tesla ah. have said, "Sorry, the truck won't be coming Not to Australia coming to uh, unless you change those regulations." And there are quite a few people there are are up in arms that their trucks have to be. And maybe it's even less. It's it's twenty five or fifty millimeters um, out from um, from a, um, a lot of markets, and yeah, maybe maybe a hundred mils out from uh, from the US or something. So, it's but you, you, ask, you yeah. ask when the technology will arrive. But the interesting thing now is the handsets have come before the network. Mm. So if you think about four G. Um, the network was there. They came out with a few phones, and then off they went. But now you've pretty much got every phone coming in the near future is five G enabled. Certainly at the top mm. end, right? In yeah. the top end. So yeah. the devices generally control the mass uptake of the technology, and the devices are there already. So that should accelerate things a little bit um, as well. I think. Mm. Cool. Uh, Anything, anything, any interesting little bits and pieces that people will be saying, Paul, why didn't you ask that? What have I missed, Todd, Renee? 
point of view, Miss. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, the exciting part of this journey has been um, you know, moving into that virtualis- virtualization space I mentioned before. And Renee and I have been talking about a little bit. It's a, it's a whole new space for New Zealanders to work in. So previously, you were a radio guy, and the real original radio guy was you know, literally a radio guy, <laughs> and, or you're an IT guy. Now those people are merging because you have to understand in a virtualized space you know, how to configure IPs, work with different open stack sources, all that sort of stuff, and also be a radio specialist. So those industries are merging, and that's news. It's quite hard to recruit for. Is it, is it still all guys? Is it, is it yeah, unfortunately, it's still mainly guys. It's heavily dominated. Heavily, heavily male-dominated, but, it's, um, but it, it's really exciting because we're doing that in New Zealand, and we've had to use a lot of brain power of, with, within Spark. There's some very clever people who've worked out how to do that with that decoupling of the of the um, radio and the compute or mm. the user plane and the control plane as they like to talk about it um, so you know that means once that is set up and you think about a place like Japan the same topography as New Zealand they have that now and in the major centres um, Osaka Tokyo etc they are hot. that's where they have all the compute power and then just over the transport network they can control the whole country so given that we are the same sort of topography um, we should get to that space once the transport network is also upgraded as well um, and that helps take away that take away that barrier of people who say I live in Invercargill so you can run Invercargill from somewhere else because we'll have that virtualization mm. and add that capacity uh, continuously as well um, because there's a Moore's law of of data consumption now where it's you know you look at those stats from the lockdown and it's it crazy um, and you think of your home broadband where people were thought oh yeah I was, if I used 5 gig it was a lot now if you use 200 gig you're like oh well that's pretty standard month because <laughs> everything's going over the broadband so yeah that's accelerating too so easy to add capacity and we've future proofed in that in that way and um, yeah that's exciting because that's a new industry effectively yeah and really exciting from that future of work perspective of actually we're giving we're creating the opportunities for New Zealanders to learn some of these skills on the job um, which will be in high demand in the future yeah, yeah. I mean, I can I can imagine that whenever we're a little bit ahead of the curve, then you end up with with skills that we potentially can transfer internationally as as well for, mm. for, yes. for better or for worse. It's uh, yeah. So around the world, the only only other major operator that has done that is Verizon. Mm. So it's still early days for everybody else. So that's happened in New Zealand as well. And then you talk about the, as the cloud comes to New Zealand and we have local hosting, that will change that dynamic again. I think so. Yeah, I mean, it's probably even, uh, it's exciting from the sense that you don't have to go over, you don't have to go to Verizon to do it now. You can do it in New Zealand, so we don't have to have, you know, some of our brightest minds leaving the country. Actually, they can do the cutting edge stuff here. Yeah. And that's the stuff that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm really curious to see where, where it leads. It does, you know, feel as though we're a little bit, you know, further along the journey, but it still feels uh, yeah, a little bit like being, I don't know, 2010, 2011, 2012, when ultra-fast broadband was new and we were bouncing around, we were excited about it, but, you know, we hadn't really found the use cases. because we, we didn't have Netflix 
you yeah. didn't you didn't have it <laughs> you weren't able to build all these things on top of it right um, whereas now we you know we take those teams and zoom meetings and you know multiple people and yeah uh, in one location at least trying to stream things I guess we still sometimes have some um, some challenges with in-home uh, Wi-Fi I think that's uh, that's 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 fair to say so um, yeah it'll be interesting to uh, look at how those things get uh, get addressed in the next little while as well. Mm, yeah. yeah, definitely. Great. Oh, well, thank you uh, so much for coming on the show. Very nice. Thank you for great. having me. Thanks, yeah, Renee. Thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks Paul. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, good, good. Well, um, yeah, appreciate you coming into the studio and we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you a bit further down the track and uh, yeah roll on with the um, the 5G so so far um, Samsung has your equipment or, or what what is it that's there is it the, the radio access network exists in, in Christchurch so yes, that's, that's the that's the first uh, the first step and how quickly will we see I know we talked about sort of longer mm. term but is this you know ramping up fairly quickly in terms of you know more 5G spots around the country yeah definitely you'll see more sites coming online as we go through the year um, and I mean Samsung's particularly good in dense urban environments so it'll be in, in major centres the big thing for us was getting that first Samsung cluster of sites live so that we could get all of the testing done and make sure that it was the experience we were expecting um, and now that that's gone really well then there's nothing holding us back good stuff and one last question how long does a deal like this take to put together when you know when when did spark uh, and samsung start talking about this we're much yeah it's probably took about two years i think and as renee mentioned before you know spark had a unique approach where they had a a live environment to test all the different vendors in rather than just a paper proposal so that was pretty cool so we bought an equipment for that as well as did the other vendors so spark could real life evaluate so so down at the 5g lab oh, uh, right. down yeah. in the auckland yeah so it probably took about two years to put together um, from where to go and then COVID and all that stuff in the middle so mm. it, it tripped things along a bit but yeah about two years yeah, um, we saw the Samsung equipment when we were up at the Mobile World Congress, which was, I think, the last one that was held in Barcelona, which was probably two and a bit years ago 2019, now. yeah. Yeah, and obviously New Zealand's pretty small, so we had to convince them that it was the right place to yeah, go. Yeah, it was a little bit of the stars aligning as well, I think, because we knew the right people at the time within our business to be able to raise our um, profile to get that, you know. Yeah, we talked about our sell sites before. It's one day of production in our factory. So, yeah, New uh, Zealand's a pretty friend. tiny market, really, in the scheme yeah. of things. Um, yeah, whether it's comparing it with South Korea, or even more so, you compare with, you know, anywhere in North America and most parts of the world, right? Yeah, in New Zealand, we're always small, but we punch above our weight. You know, so it means we always want the best deal. <laughs> we want to buy the, you know. So that, you know, that's always a struggle when you're on a global scale when you're dealing with such small numbers. But um, but I think, yeah, we, we'll, we'll prove that New Zealand is a great test bed and a great environment for the equipment and the products. So, yeah, we're looking forward to where we can take it from here. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, well, I don't mind at all when people use New Zealand as a test bed to try out some of this tech and put us maybe a little bit ahead of some other other areas. So, good stuff. Mm. All right, we'll let you go. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. A special thank you to our partners who make the New Zealand Tech Podcast possible and are proud supporters of the tech and innovation ecosystems here in New Zealand. 
They are Umbrella Connect, Vocus, Vodafone, Spark, HP and Gorilla Technology. New Zealand's tech podcast, the voice of the tech community. Proudly supported by Umbrella Connect.